The Comic Relief Podcast is an unscripted discussion about the pop culture surrounding comic books with your hosts, Uncanny Thomas Logue and the mighty Michael Moreno. All right, man. So today we're discussing a movie that just came out, X-Men Apocalypse, right? Let's just go ahead and jump to it. Just as a, as a heads up, if you have not seen X-Men Apocalypse, this podcast will contain many major spoilers. If you would like to view or read our reviews without the spoilers, please visit comicreliefpodcast.com. I and Thomas both have spoiler-free reviews, but this podcast we're talking about everything start to finish everything in between all right so let's go ahead and jump on in here man let's talk about apocalypse the first mutant or is he originally he was not considered the first mutant that was actually something that belonged to namor but they introduced apocalypse and he predates namor now you know yep. in non-continuity but in i guess in comic book continuity since he's older but anyway yes let's and talk they've, about they've, apocalypse <laughs> they've even reckoned that and uh, there's a mutant that even predates both of them now. So anyways, we'll, we'll stick with the, um, with the popular history of, of Apocalypse, right? He is the first mutant. He was uh, born in ancient Egypt 5,000 years ago. Real name is Enshabanur. And he was born to a, a tribe of warriors uh, similar to the, to the Greek Spartans, where they were essentially warriors who believed in survival of the fittest. Uh, and Sabanur or Apocalypse being a mutant, he was stronger, more intelligent, faster, uh, but he also looked different. Because he looked different, he was enslaved by Rama Tut. And okay. it turns out in the story that Rama Tut was actually Kang the Conqueror. Right, yeah, King the Conqueror. Yeah, went back in time. He knew Ensabinor was going to become who he became, and he enslaved him. So we have this, uh, this sort of a, a slave uprising. Uh, Ensabinor breaks out, and God, I don't remember if he took over his, um, his village or not. I want to say that he did. He took over his village, and then kind of went about on a like on a world conquering bend, right? Push them the way that we see them now, right? So we went into Rome, to Greece, to all these different civilizations and kind of, kind of move things around. Um, in China, I believe it was, he found, uh, an ancient celestial ship. He wasn't able to, to access this ship because being an ancient Egyptian, he just, he didn't have the technology. It was just a alien ship in the middle of the desert and he didn't know how to get into it. You still with me there? Still with you, man. I'm hanging on. Right, cool. So what's the significance of this ship? Well, at this point in Apocalypse's history, he is not the same mutant that we know Apocalypse to be uh, when he actually encounters the X-Men. He's not the big blue techno, uh, you know, cables hanging out of his arms. He does, he can't control his molecular structure and turn his arms into guns and make himself giant. Uh, he can't do that yet. I believe Kang sends an assassin back in time again to try to kill him. But the traveler tries to um, assassinate him. Coming from the future, um, he brings back, you know, a different DNA, a different technology. And after Apocalypse defeats the traveler, he is then able to, through comic book magic, open up the um, 
the celestial ship with the traveler's blood by infusing his blood, uh, Apocalypse's blood with the traveler's blood. Apocalypse was able to access, um, you know, celestial technology. And that's when he stepped into the ship and he made a deal with the Celestials. The Celestials contacted him while he's in this ship and they essentially made an open-ended deal. They said, yes, we will teach you our ways, but you will have to pay us back somehow in the future. Now integrated with the Celestial technology, that skyrocketed Apocalypse into becoming one of the most powerful beings on Earth in the X-Men world. Apocalypse is a force to be reckoned with. One of the things that um, that Apocalypse is known for as well is just like the Bible, just like the movie, he always has his four horsemen with him. Right. Do you remember the names or the titles of the four horsemen? Uh, let's see. It was Famine, War, Death. Fourth one always gets me too. Isn't it Pestilence? It sure is, dude. <laughs> no. Here's one cool thing about um, Apocalypse. Apocalypse never mind controls or makes a horseman a horseman against their will. Now, he, he can manipulate them. He can give uh, them powers or even enhance their powers, right? Right. In exchange for becoming one of his horsemen. You want some other knowledge dropped that you may or may not know? Absolutely. So back when Apocalypse first appeared in X-Factor number five, the original run, did you know that he was not actually originally going to be Apocalypse? Oh, what was what was it going to be? So the original deal is that Bob Layton, who at the time was um, involved in the X-Factor title, he was dropping hints at the Alliance of Evil. I don't know if you remember them. Kind of like a light version of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Basically, uh, basically, there was someone behind the Alliance of Evil that was controlling them and kind of you know saying what to do. And Layton had originally intended it to be none other than Daredevil's villain, the, the Owl. Owl. Really? Owl. Yes. But Bob Harris said, no, you know what? I want something else. I want like, I want another Magneto to shake up X-Factor the way Magneto had shook up the X-Men. So uh, Simonson uh, kind of drafted something up with Jackson, and I believe his last name is pronounced Goosey, G-U-I-C-E. Together, they drafted up Apocalypse. Yeah, they showed it to Bob Harris, kind of explained his spiel, and Bob Harris said, we have exactly what I'm looking for. So yeah, originally Apocalypse was Almost not created. Oh, wow. I'm well, glad they created him because he is one of my favorite villains, man. Definitely. Especially like back in the 90s. Like when he first oh. appeared at X Factor, you know, it was, oh, okay, cool. Here's this guy. He's pretty much yeah. exactly like Magneto. He, he was named Apocalypse, but we don't know anything about him. He's not uber powerful, but mm. it's not until we see it's in Executioner's Song that mm. we actually really see Apocalypse take off. Like we yes. really see how powerful he is. I think the, um, the story that really peaked Apocalypse was of course the the summer long crossover of age of apocalypse ah there's one of my favorite things ever oh my god it was so good and it was so unique at the time because they stopped continuity and completely changed all of the uh, titles changed the teams changed the title names changed the look changed the world everything was flipped upside down because i remember back then like before the big days of the internet they were usenet groups and i remember being a part of them and everyone's like outraged even i was pissed i was like i've been collecting x-men forever how could they even think about stopping the x-men this is gonna be stupid and then i read age of apocalypse number one alpha and i was like yeah, oh my god this is awesome F***ing sabertooth has f***ing 
wild child on his shoulder with a chain. Yeah, yeah. Cyclops has long hair and one eye. And Wolverine has only one fist. One hand, yes. Oh. Uh, and it's funny because, I mean, you know, when, when I was reading these books back then, I was reading, you know, all the X books. And even with all the lead up, I didn't really understand the scope of what they were going to do. I'm just reading these books and, and Strong Guy has a heart attack and Rogue and Gambit uh, kiss. Yeah. And just as all this craziness is happening like their entire world just gets just freezes everything goes white the next month next week whatever we see just everything's changed the arc or the story or the crossover event was a world without xavier and that leaves a giant gaping hole for another villain of of that caliber to step in which was apocalypse it's a great giant what if event so check it out. We have um, ancient Egyptian, 5,000 years old, melded with out-of-this-world technology. I mean, he's had run-ins with different historical figures. He's changed the course of history. He's one of the most powerful mutants of the X-Men universe and of the world. Let's just say of the world. He's, he's had run-ins with the Avengers, the Fantastic Four. I mean, he's, he's had run-ins with, with just about everybody. What I did not realize until I was... Because I knew we were going to be talking about Apocalypse, so I thought I'd dig up some info on him. Apocalypse used that celestial technology to mm-hmm. transform Essex into Mr. Sinister. He made Mr. Sinister. We just told you all of this. He's always been this giant figure in the comics. He was one of those characters that I remember talking with my friend, my friend Axel, a guy I used to read comic books with. We would consider this character too strange, too big, too powerful of a character to ever see in a movie. It would be cool if they did an Apocalypse movie, but there's no way they could do an Apocalypse movie, right? Right. Fast forward, 2016, we have our apocalypse movie. Unfortunately, it's a Fox Studio movie. <laughs> we can't have everything we want. We, we can't can have, have stuff everything. we almost want. Well, I'm just gonna come out and say, like, I, we can throw the 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 first three X Men movies: X X Men, X Men Two, uh, Mutant Boogaloo, and uh, <laughs> X Three, and and the two origin movies. We're gonna throw those out. Those have been essentially retconned. The movies that we're gonna be talking about, of course, are X Men First Class, X Men Days of Future Past, Deadpool, and I'm just gonna come out and straight up say that I was not a fan of these movies except for Deadpool except for Deadpool Deadpool <laughs> was is probably my favorite movie which I rank up there and if you guys have heard our podcast you know I'll, I'll rank it up there with you know Guardians of the Galaxy and, and, and the Avengers and all those movies it's up there the first two X-Men movie I did not like the team focus team focus being Mystique Xavier Magneto Wolverine that combination of those four characters great characters individually there's a lot of great stories there heavy hitters but to me, if I were putting together a team of X-Men, none of those four might make it. I mean, Wolverine is most likely, but Magneto, Professor X, and Mystique, to me, are not my A-team X-Men. Even though Magneto has, from time to time, actually led the X-Men, oh. not even like in Age of Apocalypse, but like in regular 616 continuity. Yes. Oh, yes. And and I and you know what they've done very well in the movies is, is they've had Magneto go back and forth, and that is totally Magneto. His, his ideology isn't necessarily one of an evil person. He just He's fighting for mutant rights, but has a sort of a bad approach at times, right? <laughs> His approach is <laughs> a more, more violent approach. A more violent approach. If I'm putting together a team or if I'm like, which X-Men characters do it for you? I don't think they may. I, villain, sure. I, I, I'm okay with him being the main uh, antagonist in a book or in a movie. What Fox has done is they put really big names behind these characters and they need to get their money's worth, right? So you have Jennifer Lawrence, J. 
James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender, and of course, Hugh Jackman. How do you feel about that core team right there? I mean, I grew up on the more classic feel of the X-Men, but after seeing X-Men 1, 2, and 3, I've just kind of accepted I'm not going to get the X-Men team that I know and I love. Each time I go into seeing any of the X-Men movies, I just want to walk out and say, Eh, at least I was entertained because I know I'm not going to get the movie I want. I would prefer a different team. This is not the team of X-Men I would throw together for a movie. I would think that we would get characters that people are more familiar with. It seems odd to have Mystique be such a centerpiece. Jennifer Lawrence is a big actress, especially after the whole Mockingbird, Mockingjay series of movies. They probably want to get their run out of her as much as they can. I think she kind of grew to popularity since or around the time of the first class movie. That was definitely because of Hunger Games. I mean, you can't really blame the studio. They have the hot actress in their movie, probably under contract. So you know they're going to use her. Of course they're going to use her. Unfortunately, she wasn't Jean Grey. <laughs> she wasn't <laughs> Kitty Pride. You know what I mean? She wasn't. She was uh, Mystique. So now they're like, okay, well, Mystique is now the leader of the X-Men. Okay, cool. We've had a lot of leaders of the X-Men. Mystique, not so much. She's always been a, a sort of a shady character. The only thing we've ever seen Mystique really be a leader of is the Brotherhood. At least she has, you know, if you're going to look at comics and say, ah, she would never lead the X-Men, you can at least say she has leadership experience. It's on her resume. And even her powers are, are very deceitful. I mean, she's a shapeshifter. You never know who she is, where she is. She could be anybody. That, that's kind of not the quality you want in a leader. Another thing that bothers me about these movies are that they waste so many good characters. Where's Banshee? Where's Havoc? Where's there's um, wow. Colossus and Warpath and Iceman and all these good characters that they've just kind of done away with. It, it almost seems like they don't know what to do with all these supporting characters. Well, I feel like what they try to do is they try to throw a bunch of characters in there just so people can say, oh, you know, this movie has Colossus, Warpath, yeah. you know, Storm, you know, all these people. But what you don't know is when you go see it, they're all dead within 20 minutes. Pretty much what I saw in the trailer is as much as they are in the movie. And they had about as much lines in the trailer as they did in the entire movie. Yeah, that's yep. pretty much it. Part three of the problem that I have with these movies are the villains. You know, Kevin Bacon was the, the main antagonist in the first class. And uh, Sebastian Shaw, who they got completely wrong. Sebastian Shaw, who they got completely wrong. And then um, we have Peter Dinklage as, uh, as Bolivar Trask. I would even hazard to say that Sebastian Shaw is at least a, a sort of a fight, fightable villain. They didn't use him at all correctly. They didn't use him at all correct. Not very strong villains in the first two movies. Um, forgettable really is, is, is what you can say about these villains, right? Yeah, and the thing is, so Sebastian Shaw, the entire original Hellfire Club is, that's when I was really getting into X-Men. was back in those Oh, yeah. days of X-Men 133, 134, 135, you know, that's when I was like really, really, really getting into X-Men. So the Hellfire Club has a very, very, very special place for me, especially Sebastian Shaw and the White Queen. When I heard Sebastian Shaw was going to be in the movie and I heard it was going to be Kevin Bacon, I thought, 
uh, you know, Sebastian Shaw is like this. He looks kind of like the 1800s gentleman thing with the yep. long ponytail. And I was like, I can't see Kevin Bacon doing that. But, you know, Kevin Bacon has been in a bunch of good movies that I actually like. So I thought there's hope. But no, no, the writing was so <laughs> bad. Right now, I can't even tell you how they defeated Sebastian Shaw. Because I, I can't don't remember. remember. I don't remember. Yeah, I remember there was something about Cuba and the Cuban Missile Crisis. And yeah, I remember a fight on the beach, but I don't I don't remember anything about it. And that's not how it should be. Like, you no. should be able to re- remember the villains and remember the big final fight, you know, because that's what everything is building up to. As so, you mentioned the second movie, why did they focus on Oliver Trask? He should have been kind of a, more of a minor villain. The villain should have been the Sentinels. Not yes. just at the beginning, but it should have been the Sentinels fighting the X-Men with the classic nets, the gas, the fists flying out and grabbing them yeah. or whatever. I was waiting for that big Sentinel fight that the X-Men have repeatedly fought throughout comic book history. They have constantly fought the Sentinels. All the friggin' X-Men villains you could possibly have. They have William Stryker, Bolivar Trask, and Sebastian Shaw. Not that they're terrible, but to me, not if you're going to really grab the audience, bring in new fans, and say, check out this set of heroes and villains that this franchise has. It's kind of weak to me. It's weak. It's the Sebastian Shaw thing that, as soon as you mention it, it started yanking my chain again. Because that movie could have been good if they would have brought in the whole Hellfire Club. We would have had a group of five mutants fighting like five other mutants. I thought that would have been good. But no, that's not where they went. Oh, the other thing with the first X-Men movie is with Sebastian Shaw. Do you remember that dude who's standing next to him who kind of twirls? He he doesn't even say anything. He has no lines. Dude, it's Riptide from the Marauders. I had to look it up. Right. I had to look that up. (laughs) Who's the dude at the end? And I'm watching the credits and I was like, okay, okay. Riptide? You used Riptide from the Marauders? Like, where did you pull that out of your You know what I mean? It wasted him. I can't think of anything he did. Most of that movie I can't remember. As you can see, the impressions of the first two movies weren't very well. So we're, we we weren't really set up to be looking forward to this movie, even though it's X-Men, even though it's Apocalypse. I had zero expectations for this movie. Let's talk but about Apocalypse. Finally start talking about the movie. <laughs> yeah, let's 30 minutes into this thing and let's start talking about the movie. So Apocalypse stars Oscar Isaac. You know who Oscar Isaac is? I'm horrible at names. It's Poe Dameron. What? That was him? That <laughs> was him, dude. I was originally kind of bugged by uh, Apocalypse's appearance. Yeah, I believe they also changed his look. I think a lot of people complained and there was like a backlash. So I think they actually went in and changed his look slightly. That might be part of it, too, because I remember watching, um, you know, the original trailers and not really liking it. But it didn't really bother me, th- you know, throughout the movie. It's kind of like, well, this is the movie version that we're getting. The X-Men franchise is not known for being loyal to the uh, to the costumes or to the content. So I didn't mind it. And, and I thought he was he was fairly imposing. He was convincing as Apocalypse. What I didn't like was Brian Singer's sort of take on on his presence. Full body shots in the daytime. It made him look small, especially early on when he's just kind of walking around the streets of Cairo. Cinematography mm, eh, could have been better. Could have been better. Could have been better. We have our established bad guy. It's clear who Apocalypse is. Uh, we know his intentions. Survival of the fittest. He wants to redo the world in his vision. Another major plus is team itself had a very different look. 
and I liked it. What do you mean a different look? We had we okay. had Cyclops back on the team. To me, right there, that just went up two letter grades. Ty Sheridan as Cyclops, uh, Sophie Turner as Jean Grey. Uh, they play these characters very well as as a young Scott, a young Jean. Uh, Sophie Turner. I, I think Sophie Turner could have like vomited on screen, and I probably would have loved it because I'm such a huge fan of Sophie Turner's uh, from Game of Thrones. Right? She could have just picked her nose the entire time, and I would have been like, oh, brilliant. Yes. <laughs> Done it with telekinesis. Not even really. Just <laughs> yeah. move her finger around her nose. Exactly. Exactly. Cyclops has been missing, was sorely missed on this team, and I was glad to see him and Gene back in the movies, man. This is what the first X-Men movie should have been, because it feels like this is the X-Men team coming together. This feels like yet another X-Men origin movie. Every movie is like the, the team learning to, you know, fight together on their first mission. Can we get the X-Men that have like that are seasoned? Well, I think part of it is you have first class, right? So that happens. Good or bad, whatever, it happens. And then you have Days of Future Past, which essentially almost pretty much kind of undoes it. Yeah. Because they, they end up changing the timeline because of it. And then we get Apocalypse, which kind of picks up from Days of Future Past in some regard. <laughs> if you look at First Class, Days of Future Past, and Apocalypse, they're trying to tie these movies together, but uh, they don't. They've not planned anything, is what it feels like to me. Yes. Like they did First Class, and they're like, okay, we're going to reboot it. And then for whatever reason, they're like, mm, no. So let's change some stuff. Let's do Days of Future Past because it's a really cool storyline. And that's going to change the you know first class storyline completely and then they kind of like do where you see that cyclops at the end of days of future past but then that's not the cyclops that you see in apocalypse each yep. one is basically its own movie so there's and there's continuity without continuity you're right it, it looks like they're sort of winging it and they're like writing it as they're going deadpool was probably a nice little uh, smelling salt for fox to say hey yeah. there's money to be made here you guys you know, let's start paying attention. Look what happens when you're like loyal to the to the content. You know, this apocalypse and Deadpool have kind of got my hopes up, but I'm an idiot because I'm gonna get my hopes crushed. Um, you're gonna get them burned. Burned to the ground. I do like Brian uh, Singer's take on Cyclops' powers. Um, I mentioned in my written review that uh, when Cyclops uses his powers, and these go f that goes for the original X-Men movies too, it almost feels like he's opening up a fire hydrant on full blast. It's not the laser, straight laser beam that we're used right. to seeing, which I'm sure it's a lot easier to draw in a comic, right? In the movies, uh, Cyclops' uh, optic blasts look very, very impactful. They look like they have some punch behind them. Looks like they have some force behind them. Cyclops and Gene were, I think, the best part to this movie because they yeah. both had their moments. But I do have to say there is there is one it's trivial but it bugs me because every X-Men movie has done this. What's that? Why? Why does Jean Grey already have the Phoenix Force? I don't think we're going to get well, obviously we're not because they've already given Jean Grey the Phoenix Force. But to me, that is, that is a wasted opportunity of explaining how Jean gets the Phoenix Force by that just is, having her have it. That is Why an, is that not its own it, movie? No. They could even, if they wanted to, kind of do a variation where, you know, they bring in the Shire. They, you know, the Shire are there to stop Jean, you know, because they know what the Phoenix Force is. She doesn't have to go eat a planet like she did in the comics. But maybe when she triggers the Phoenix Force after she gets it, they realize, you know, it triggers the Shire and the Shire year come and that could be like the end of that movie you know like she gets a phoenix force it booms whatever and then they show the shy year going 
you know, all like suddenly landing right outside of Earth's oh. orbit and then stop the movie there and then pick up from there and do a Dark Phoenix storyline oh, where they fight dude. the Imperial Guard. You know, why is that not happening? Take it into space. Get, give yourself a Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Yes, that's exactly throw, what I'm saying. They throw the Star Jammers in there. Throw the Star Jammers in there, right? Adam X. <laughs> Adam X, sure. <laughs> You can open yourself up. You know, you, you do a whole storyline with Corsair and, and Scott, and you can open up a whole nother world. S- something had to beat Apocalypse, right? Yeah, obviously, the X-Men weren't going to punch them into submission. They needed something for the writer to just say, uh, yeah, and then the Phoenix comes out. Boom. Game over. What I was hoping was going to happen, and I thought that's where they were going. You see Magneto basically chucking him full of freaking yeah. metal. Cyclops is blasting him. What I was hoping was going to happen without without the phoenix coming out you know all the x-men and then plus his horsemen would all turn on him and apocalypse would basically burn his body out because they've already alluded in the movie that he needs to go into professor x's body because he wants that power i just thought here we are they're going to burn his body out and you know his horsemen are going to betray him the x-men are going to work together and that's how they're going to defeat apocalypse but no they just went the quick easy route uh oh everyone's doing all this cool stuff but gene gray go ahead and unleash the phoenix force that you yeah. have for no apparent yeah. reason. What I was picturing and I had my my fingers crossed and I was just waiting for it was like you said they built up Magneto to be this super powerful his powers were like apocalypse level. I was hoping that we'd get an age of apocalypse ending where Magneto basically rips apocalypse in half and just does away with him. I don't know, maybe they because up until that point uh Jean Grey didn't really do much. I mean, she was kind of running along with the rest of the team, but that was her that was her major scene that was like her major coming out scene was the apocalypse scene i guess when i was as i was watching it and then after i watched it i already had here's how i would have made the movie better kind of thing (laughs) we saw professor x go inside of apocalypse's head and stuff like that which by the way uh i i loved we went to the astral plane i was like yes 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 the astral plane i was on board with that that was cool and that's what i thought gene was gonna do i thought gene was gonna basically use professor x as an anchor to connect into Apocalypse's head and basically try to shut down his power while the rest of the X-Men are drilling him and burning his body out. Oh, that would have been great. Because now he's fighting on two fronts and that's what I thought, uh, that would have been cool to basically burn out his body. But that's what I wanted to happen. I wanted her to basically go through Professor X and go into the astral plane and say, he's not alone. He'll never be alone. He has the X-Men. And then Boom, start pounding on Apocalypse right there. You know, the more you talk about it, the more and more and more it makes sense. You're absolutely right. That would have been a hundred times better. We just need to work for Fox Studios and say, listen, let Michael and I write the next X-Men movie. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not to say I have an ego or anything, but we could do better. (laughs) Well, look, there's a dude named Adam Max, right? (laughs) Let me tell you about the solo movie I have planned for him. The new leader of the X-Men, the real (laughs) Summers brother. (laughs) Oh, speaking of that, speaking of the Summers brother. No, I'm actually going to go something else. Random, obscure fact. Robert Weinberg, who was writing Cable at the time, he had planned a story to reveal that Apocalypse was the third Summers brother. But Weinberg left the book before he could get his plan done. Goodness. Yeah, and the third Summers brother was eventually revealed to be Gabriel Summers, a.k.a. Vulcan. Like, first, yeah. Apocalypse almost doesn't get created. It was almost Owl. And then this dude wants to make Apocalypse somehow the third Summers brother. That would have been Good bad. Grief. So while we're on the topic of 
Summers Brothers in true Fox Studios X Men fashion. They can kill havoc. I was happy to see him because he was him and Cyclops were side by side. We had the Summers Brothers. I thought, dude, this is a great surprise. But then he does something where he basically accidentally shoots through Apocalypse's portal, misses Apocalypse and his four horsemen, and hits the SR seventy one, the Blackbird, and that kicks off the Quicksilver scene. I call it the quick sequence, right? That's like Quicksilver's is like his gimme scene, his payoff scene. Every every, every X Men one, yeah, you're expecting now the Quicksilver scene, and Evan Peters comes back as Quicksilver. He the mansion's blowing up. He's running around, saying all, saving all the young mutants. At the end of that sequence, when you're coming off that high, Scott basically asks, "Hey, where's my brother?" And Quicksilver uh, says, uh, "Well, I don't know. I didn't see him." They friggin' kill Havoc. I'm going to admit, when I saw Havoc in the movie, and I realized who he was early on, when he says Alex, I was like, oh, dude, Havoc's in it. Dude, that was good that they didn't put him in the trailer. Awesome surprise. And then they do the thing where it appears that he's dead. And I'm going to tell you right now, as a huge, huge, huge Havoc fan, that scene actually changed my tone. Like, I was instantly grumpy in the movie. It was a complete waste. Like, why did you put Havoc in there? Was the explosion scene needed other than to show off Quicksilver? Nah, not really. This kind of brought me back to uh, reality that I was watching a Fox Studios movie. <laughs> Fox Studio when movie. They, yeah, when they killed Havoc. It, it was like, oh yeah, that's right. They they ripped Colossus in half and then they killed Bishop and then they killed Iceman and they killed Warpath and they killed Storm. <laughs> and Oh yeah, that's right. I'm watching a Fox movie. I'm that's, Fox. that's right. Okay. And I got over it. The the one thing I can forgive that they won't do because it's in the hands of Fox Studios is if they do a Mutant X type thing where Havoc quote unquote dies in an explosion but gets thrown into a completely alternate reality where like Storm's a vampire and Angel's like a part demon and Beast is like a full on beast. I don't but, see them going that deep. Yeah, no. I mean if we, if we go down the list of like solid characters that they've killed Banshee, Colossus, uh, Blink, um, Iceman, Bishop, Havoc yeah. now. You throw Havoc on there. And one that we're not sure of, might not be, is Ben Hardy's Angel. He gets KO'd for sure. Under a pile of rubble, you see the, the hand kind of sticking up and they just kind of leave him ambiguously KO'd. So what, what did you think of Angel, by the way? I liked it. The dude who played Angel, I thought he did a good job as Angel. The only trivial thing I thought was the little claw thing at the end of his wing. He cuts Bob open yeah. with it. Yep. So there yep. is that, I guess. But yeah, I liked Angel. What I did like, and uh, I don't know if you're a metal fan and caught it but did you you yes. caught what he was listening to in the whatever that building was yeah yep. metallica the four horsemen dude that was pretty cool what is up with this uh billy idol take on angel man i thought i thought i knew <laughs> warren worthington the third i was happy with him being a, a yuppie i thought it was a missed opportunity since they had him listening to Metallica, why didn't they give him long hair to actually make him look like an angel? Yeah. yeah. They should have just gave him like, long metal hair. But otherwise, I thought it was pretty cool. And I liked his little bit of a rivalry that he had with, uh, with Nightcrawler, with Kurt Wagner, played by Cody Smith-McPhee. And we kind of differ a little bit on uh, on on this version. On Nightcrawler. Like I said, the actor does a good job as Nightcrawler. I love how they use Nightcrawler's powers and stuff like that. He does a bunch of cool stuff. I just did not 
and it's not against the actor. It's just I don't like that look that Nightcrawler had because it reminds me of the X-Men Evolution cartoon, which, yeah. as we were saying, maybe that was intentional. Maybe that was their way of trying to do nods to all these little versions of X-Men. I didn't like the movie. What? It's, Why not? It was, it was not good. I don't like that the Horsemen's were not legit. You You needed more Dazzler in this movie. No, I don't need more Dazzler in the movie. I'm just saying, like, out of four horsemen, only one was the real one. Like, it's just not cool. Which one was the real one for you? Archangel. He was the real one in the comics, and the other three were not real horsemen. No, no. I I was okay with that. They've done, I mean, Wolverine has been a horseman. Gambit has been a horseman. Really? Because it's like, if I got, like, Barks root beer and fake root beer, you'd be okay? Yeah, Brand X. I didn't yeah. like, yeah, I, I didn't like Storm as a horseman. I thought that was kind of weird. No. Like, of all your pieces, why Storm? She's, she's, she's a X-Men. She's like a traditional X-Men, right? I can, yeah. I can see how you can get away with Cyclo- uh, Psylocke, maybe Magneto, but not Storm. What no. are you doing? I think yeah. it was a little like cheesy. You know, that's a good point. Like, I, I if they would have gone with the, you know, with the more traditional horsemen, the more unknown horsemen, they could have saved Storm, Psylocke, and kept them on the X Men and not had to make them bad guys and not had to give them this right. weird story. All right. Well, that's all I have. Dude, thank you. Nice, nice chat with you. <laughs> Bye. And we're back. Dude, Amy brought up a, a, a great point. The horsemen themselves, like, why Storm? Why Psylocke? Of course you're going to do Archangel. That's fine. Magneto, I probably wouldn't wouldn't have gone with Magneto because he's he's about as big as a villain as Apocalypse. They should have just done some of the more traditional horsemen from the comics. So the one thing is we see Apocalypse basically say, Hey, Magneto, what you need to do is touch the earth and feel the earth and you'll see that you have all this untapped potential. What bothers me is, why didn't he do that to Storm? Why didn't he say, No, you don't, you don't just control this weather here. Yeah, you know, and you know, she creates like monsoons and creates floods and starts washing out civilization because that's what Apocalypse wants to do. Why yeah. didn't he do that? Why didn't we see why he picked Storm? Yeah. Like Storm and Archangel and Apocalypse makes sense to me, especially if he had shown Storm her potential. The one that does not make sense to me is Psylocke. Psylocke. Why? Yeah. Why? Why? Why was she picked? I was okay with it, I guess. He, She was like the first one that he found, so I'm sure he was like, damn, I found a sexy one like on my first try. <laughs> I've, been, I've been buried for 5,000 years. Like, It's funny how he's giving all his horsemen this sweet armor, very protective, right? Like, very well shielded, and then he leaves her in a bathing suit. A bathing suit. All right, but let, let's go back. We were talking about Nightcrawler, and I was nice. saying how I didn't like that appearance because it reminds me of the uh, cartoon. Yeah. The uh, X-Men evolution. I, I didn't mind the, the young Nightcrawler from that show. I liked Cody Smith McPhee's take on Nightcrawler, where Nightcrawler has like youthful energy to him, where he's like constantly smiling, he's happy to be there. You make a good point that actually none of the X-Men were like dark and brooding. Yeah, I like the tone of the movie. The tone of the movie was cool. I think Nightcrawler has one of the best lines too in the in the movie. Mystique shows up and uh, and Beast basically says, "Hey, you're not blue," and she says, "You're not either." And then there's they did the perfect timing. Like there's a pause right there, and they're just kind of like staring at each other, and then Nightcrawler pops up and he goes, "I'm blue." 
That, I thought that was hilarious. That was actually he had, yeah. hilarious. Yep. He had this smile on his face. Like, what are you guys talking about? Look at me. Yeah. I'm blue. Speaking of Nightcrawler, there is there is the one scene that we both talked about that we thought was kind of odd is when they do introduce Nightcrawler. You know, it's in a cage match and it's Angel. And they say, you know, the only one who can fight the Angel is the devil. And they throw in Nightcrawler. And I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. Like the Angel and the devil thing. But and then they indicate, you know, hey, the fence is electrified. It does nothing to stop Nightcrawler from teleporting inside the cage. And so they're doing a thing, and Nightcrawler's like, I don't want to fight you. I don't want to fight you. And he's, like, teleporting around the cage, just not wanting to fight Archangel. And Ar- or Angel and, he- and Angel says, you have to fight or else they'll kill us. And it shows those dudes, like, load their guns and, like, kind of aim it at the cage. And I thought, why doesn't he just teleport out? Right there I thought, wow, you guys, um, it's either lazy writing or you're writing this character wrong. At some point in the writer's room, no one said, why doesn't he just teleport out of the cage? And then another thing is, is in that same scene, uh, uh, Mystique just turned, cranks up the juice on that cage to 11. And it's like, why don't you just turn the electricity off? What are you doing? That made no sense. Like, it would have been fine if she would have turned it up and then kicked someone into the cage because, you know, she's doing it to, like, fight these dudes Short. with guns and, yeah. you know, electrocute these people. Uh, there's two dudes in there that you're trying to save that are fighting. Like, you, you you're trying might to save at least one of them. You're right. The writers had to figure out a way to damage Angel's wings, and that was just convenient, and it's... Ugh. Again, you know, you're watching this movie like, yeah, this is a Fox Studio X-Men movie. We already kind of touched on on Psylocke. Olivia Munn looks the part. When I saw her as, and I heard even heard about her playing Psylocke, I thought, excellent choice. Physically, she is the perfect Psylocke. Even when she was doing her powers, perfect Psylocke. It's not the Psylocke we know from the comics. Like, she uses her, for lack of a better word, because I don't know what else to describe it, she uses her Psyblade to cut a car in half. I just, at that point, accepted, so her Psyblade, again, for lack of a better word, is must be composed of something else. It's not actually a telepathic extension of herself. And unfortunately, as, as beautiful as Olivia Munn is and as perfect as she looked as Psylocke and as cool as her powers looked in the movie, she, to me... Not not Olivia Munn. The character of Psylocke was the biggest disappointment to me. But she was grossly underused. That's what I mean. I mean, it's not her as an actress, and it's not because they messed up her look. It's not because they messed up how her powers looked. All of that was actually spot on. Like, if you ignore the fact that she's not a telepath and she has an energy sword whip thing, yeah. fine. The reason she's so disappointed is she was like a cardboard to me. Yeah. She has like two lines in the very, the first time you see her where she's with Caliban and she's like, what's his name or whatever. I don't even remember what was she it. said. Was and then that was it. She never says another word again. Par for the course for X-Men movies, man. Like you, you they, they put characters up front and center and they, they don't know what to do with them. I mean, well, she does survive the movie and kind of slinks off. So here we go. Hopefully they do her some justice at some point. They bring her back. I mean, if you look at all of the other horsemen he picked, Magneto, I mean, Magneto got big star guy. He gets a lot of development. You know, he's got this happy family in the beginning you know something's gonna go wrong because he ends up with the horsemen they die he loses it you kind of understand why magneto is so angry then you get storm who is a thief she gets a lot of development she's talking to him you kind of get this whole vibe of her character she's running through the streets apocalypse saves her cool i understand it you get angel who's fighting with nightcrawler gets his wings burned you understand why he's angry psylocke you don't even know why she joined 
she's joined. She's yeah, just right, like, yeah, right. man, there was, I'm on board. That, that, that's what I mean by no, yeah. no character reasoning, no character development. You don't understand why she's there other than to look beautiful and jump around in a in a in a bathing suit. Her as an actress, she looked the part. Her costume was spot on, and her powers were spot on. Again, if you just think of them as energy blades, her as the the character Havoc, who died, got more development. Yeah. <laughs> than her so okay so we're talking about the writing this definitely for me this had some hokey writing let's go for example with moira mctaggart finding the cave (laughs) under the rug she pulls back the carpet she leaves it open the sun hits the berry pyramid that apocalypse is is sort of caved in under and that is what kicks off apocalypse's return and it's it's immediately i thought really so the only thing keeping apocalypse from coming out and taking over the world was a friggin' carpet have, have these guys been down there worshiping him this entire time and everyone's just super careful to put the carpet back only go down there at night <laughs> yes but again it's kind of okay, okay all right we were watching a fox movie keep going yeah the, i would have liked it like if they had if they would have just fine. found it and like seen it and then like one of them touches it and then all the runes start lighting up and then like his life force gets sucked out of him that yes. would have been a better intro to me another one for me and this one i might give a pass on because when we discussed it you're right it, it does hold some emotional weight um, but that was Magneto's uh, family. I mean, to me, it was very tropey. We see the previous villain now living happily in a cabin, a quiet life. His wife, his beautiful wife, his extremely cute daughter. And immediately you think, well, they're dying. But yeah, that scene to me was very bad. And, you know, he has the whole scene where he kind of outs himself, saving one of the other miners. They come after him. The local friggin' deputy dogs come after him. They take off their badges. They take off all their metal. And they come after him with basically sticks and bows and arrows. Dude, he is one of the most powerful mutants in the world. You might want to call the actual authorities. Do you think because he's in, like, the small town in Poland that, you know, they just figure this is how they'll take care of it? To me, I I just saw the eight dudes holding sticks and baseball bats, and I thought, well, they're dead. But you actually raise a good point. Like, even though they had gone there with no metal on, like, what were they going to do? Once they got him into into town, you can't put him in a jail. Yeah. Like, if so, your concern is that he's going to do something, you would have to kill him. That is your only option. You can't take him back to jail. You yeah. can't take him back to the city that's full of metal. The one thing that, you know, what he does with the necklace after his daughter and wife die, when, when that scene happened, once it started going through everyone, all I could think of was... Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes! Yes! Okay, so we had that scene, we had that scene. You know, they did hint at a Wolverine cameo in the trailers, and it was a pretty satisfying Wolverine cameo. I do like what they did. He did not remain with the team, which is what I was afraid of when I saw that little cameo thing. Mm -hmm. I thought, ah, here we go. He's going to be with the team. He's (laughs) going to, like, steal the show, and it's going to be all about Wolverine again. Overall, I thought it was was a cool scene. He, he, I mean, it it did kind of go on a a bit long, which I, I kind of enjoyed like oh it's not stopping all right like this okay cool you know keep going so and then we we end up with wolverine running off into the canadian wilderness where we're assuming that he helps form alpha flight and fight the hulk that would be right? nice <laughs> in a perfect world it just saying just throwing it out there let us write your alpha moves. flight has diversity man eskimos in there as shamans we have a yeah. dude with a tech suit we have a dude who's like mystical like 
Sasquatch thing. Yeah, we dude. have two twins. Yeah, man. What more do you want? What more do you want? So that that's kind of it for me, man. I, I enjoyed this. This this had the you know this. I was rec- it was a recognizable X Men movie. Overall, though, this this was a good movie. I enjoyed it. You got anything else? No, I think we covered everything and everyone. Great podcast. Great chat with you, man. Cool. Thank you for listening. And please let our listeners know where they can find our stuff. All right. They can find us at www.comicreliefpodcast.com or they can go to Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash comic relief podcast or they can go to twitter.com forward slash comic relief pod and then the letter C. Also, they can find us on Instagram, which is instagram.com forward slash comic relief pod C. And there is also YouTube, which we're hoping to make more use out of. Uh, We've been toying around with green screen and such. So hopefully we come up with some cool videos to add on top of the podcast which you can go to at youtube.com forward slash comic relief podcast i think that's everything (laughs) that's it man cue the outro music to me my x-men and let's go thank you for listening to the comic relief podcast we hope you'll join us next time as we continue to discuss all things comic book related. And until then, make mine Marvel and DC and independent. I'd like to give a special thanks to Adam Johnson, who did the heavy metal version of the classic X-Men animated cartoon series theme song that you hear in the beginning and the end. You can find Adam Johnson's YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash user forward slash AJ Heretic 666. You can also find him at adamjohnsonuk.bandcamp.com. He is also on iTunes. You can also find him on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Adam Johnson Music. And he is on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Adam J Music UK. I can, like, hear you sending me messages, but I don't know where the messages are coming from. It's really freaking me out, dude. Like, I don't even know. Putting on the headset. What it do, baby? What it do? What it do? Unplug this laptop and keep talking. Make sure that it's recording. Ugh. Do your thing, man. Da, 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 da. Oops. I can hear myself in the other room, so I'm pretty sure it's recording me. Hello, Hello me. me! I, I sound like again. God. Can you hear, hear the, the echo? echo? Yeah, I can. <laughs> I am God. Yeah, I thought you were going to 
thought you were going to do the uh, Megadeth, dude. The Megadeth? Hello, me, it's me again. Oh, yeah. Hello, me, it's me again. It's a it's weird, weird echo. echo. <laughs> Smacking that battery. Do it, man. That's hot. Smack, flip it, rub it down. Oh, no. <laughs> and you knew exactly where I was going with that. <laughs> so what I figure we'll do, since that dude gave us permission to use a song. Yes. Is we'll re-record our normal intro line. So that oh, I can yes. Can we do that? Into that song. All right, man. Let's go ahead and um, let me record the the little intro here. One take. Maximum right. effort. First try. Hey, listener. Welcome to the Comic Relief Podcast. Hope you survived the experience. The Comic Relief Podcast is an unstripped... <laughs> oh, there goes first take. <laughs> the Comic Relief... The Shit, comic I was relief... laughing. Hold on. Let me stop laughing. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta get your laughs in. Go. <laughs> the Comic Relief Podcast is an unscripted discussion about the pop culture surrounding comic books with your host. I don't like how they came out. I don't like how they came out. I was reading it too much. Yeah, instead of feeling it. Yeah, man, you gotta feel it. Right from your <laughs> dude. So much for first try. The Comic Relief Podcast is an unscripted sculpture. The sculpture. The Comic Relief Podcast is an unscripted discussion about the pop culture surrounding comic books with your hosts, Uncanny Thomas Logue and the mighty Michael Moreno. All right, and then do you want to do the outro part too? Sure, you want to do it now? Yeah, because yeah, I mean, I'll just superimpose it all into music. Okay. Thank you for <laughs> <laughs> outro, Thomas. Thank you for listening to the Comic Relief Podcast. <laughs> You're gonna just read the word Thomas. Thank you for <laughs> specifically thanking me. That's my line, dude. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Comic Relief Podcast. We hope you'll join us next time as we continue to discuss all things comic book related. And until then, make mine Marvel and DC and independent. All right, man. You ready to jump into this? I am ready to discuss X-Men Age of Apocalypse. Or no, sorry. Yeah, X-Men. I do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start that over. I'm just, I got to do one last thing on my side before I lose all my concentration. I thought that was already gone. That was weird. It just randomly gave me a uh, 169 IP address. No way. Okay, should we start over? Uh, we got up to where you're talking about how the Inhumans, or the Inhumans, oh god damn it, the alien ship, he got in. Who did I say was the alien ship? Uh, not the Inhumans, Scott. You just said it was an alien ship. Uh, no, you said it was, um, oh my god, totally forgetting right now. Did I say Celestials? No. Did you? I wonder what I said. Do you want to just start over? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, man. Let's just start over. <laughs> All right, let's do it. But mm. it's not until we see... Oh, what was uh, where... It's not not Age of Apocalypse, but the other story where it's like Apocalypse, Sinister, um, Cable, Strife. What was that called? Oh, no. We're going to do the... We're going to play this game. Oh, what was oh. it? That was a very good story. Oh. All right. I'm, 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 dude, I'm looking it up now because I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, it wasn't that, Onslaught, was it? No, Onslaught was when Mag, uh, Magneto and Professor X merge. Axe of Vengeance. No, that's when no? Loki lets all the villains out and they oh, fight different true. people. Why do I know all those other ones, but I can't remember what this one's yeah. called? <laughs>
<laughs> the issues were bagged and like the top is yeah. blue with the yellow writing. Yes, 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 yes. I remember the covers. I remember Jay Lee's covers. I remember. Oh my god! You know what? I'm gonna. I'm just gonna Google <laughs> X Men Apocalypse crossover. Come on, images, don't fail me now. Images, you are failing me now. <laughs> Because <laughs> it has like cable and strife and sinister. It's when they do the whole legacy virus and all that other. It can be one long outtake <laughs> of us going, what's it called? So let's do X Men Strife Cable Apocalypse Mis- Executioner Song. Oh, that's it. Yeah, it's the Executioner Song. Oh my god, dude. Yes. So, yeah. Blob Cabio. Also, yeah, that's so super cool. cameo. That's really quick. I mean, it's kind of like yeah. putting havoc in a movie and killing him because that's yeah. <laughs> that's about as quick as it is. Like, oh, but there's blo- us, oh, yeah. he's out. <laughs> they gave us Blob in in costume in the classic Blob costume, yep, which was black and yellow, <laughs> which was nice. And for being immovable, they sure were carrying him out of the. Yeah, uh, they carried him out. <laughs> <laughs> I and like not even like buff dudes. It was like regular dudes. Like, hey, let's just carry him out. I mean, I was like, dude, I don't. I'm not even sure those four dudes could carry me out. <laughs> <laughs> You're not that immovable. <laughs> they could have dupe. Yes, they could have put dupe in that role, and uh, that would have been a, a like a more interesting freaking like. Wow, that's surprising. They went that direction with the horseman. <laughs> yeah. Green Dude. alien booger thing. <laughs> Bye, Michael. Good night, Amy. I mean, I guess I still like you, even though you like this movie. This, I actually kind of like this movie. Can you believe mm. that? Wait, it's it's a bad movie, Michael. It's it's a bad movie, but it's not the worst mm. movie of the X Men movies. They they weren't fighting Peter Dinklage, and they weren't fighting I mean, Bacon. Just because we're not in purgatory doesn't mean that it's a good movie (laughs) how about that civil war though that was a good civil war was a really good movie and i can sell a load of civil war stuff i cannot sell any x-men stuff yeah yeah that's what i was telling tom it's hard to go from like filet mignon to happy meals yeah it's so bad coming off of coming off of civil war i have our creative team like pitching me stuff i'm like no Yeah. I'm like, do you have anything for Suicide Squad, though? Nope. They're not but selling? I absolutely can sell anything with Harlow Quinn. Oh, of course. You can't You can't sell, like, a Magneto bolo tie or something like that? <laughs> Magneto bolo tie. No? No. All right. Have a good night. I'll talk to you later. You as well. Good night, Amy. Bye. To me, my, to X-Men. my, X-Men. my, X-Men. my X-Men. And let's go. 